Well, good afternoon, evening, and welcome to you. I'm so glad that you are joining me and welcome to you as you join in. And we are doing another lesson in our Run Kitty Run series, Volume 1. We'll be concluding Volume 1 probably next week. And then we'll pick it back up maybe later in the summer. May take a short break, perhaps for the month of June, and then pick it back up a little bit later on. And we can continue in this study or perhaps do another topic. But I do want to continue to do Bible studies with you, and I pray that these are blessing you. I pray that they are building your faith, helping you to come to know Jesus if you've never experienced him as your personal Lord and Savior and made that decision. And I want to help you to grow as a disciple of, of the Lord if you are a Christian. So I trust that these are a blessing to you, and I'm just delighted to have you joining in and watching these, and I'm doing the very best that I know how to be as true to God's calling on my life as I can and to teach you the word and the truth, and help you to know our wonderful God, this God who offers salvation to all who will believe in him. So I'd like to begin tonight, as usual, with prayer. Father, I pray, Lord, for in Jesus' name, for your blessing and your anointing. I ask, Father God, I know that apart from you, I can do nothing. So I do ask for the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God upon me as I try to deliver this message. And I pray that those that will hear it will be blessed because of it. I pray that you will cause this word to speak to them and to minister to them wherever they may be. And Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God will do that work in them, bring your word to life for them. And Father, I thank you, Lord, for this grand opportunity. And I pray, Father, that you will be blessed and, and you will be uh, praised through this and your people will be blessed. And so, Father, I ask these things in Jesus' name, and I pray that you receive all of the glory also in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome again as you begin to join in. And tonight we are going to talk about Lesson 11. We're looking at El Gadol, or Adonai Gadol, as he may be called um, in, a, in a more modern term. In the scriptures, I believe it's more of an El Gadol. But we're talking about the great God. And tonight is going to be somewhat interesting. You'll notice that I don't have the tree up right now and, and the other things like normal. I've tried to draw a little something in, on the board that will help you, I hope, as we go through this lesson. So let's take another look at our great God. And tonight we want to focus on his greatness. We want to focus on who is El Gadol. Who is the great God, El Gadol? So here, when we focus on El Gadol, our great God, it allows us to take a journey way beyond ourselves and the limits of our world to view the Lord in his glory and in his power. What this does for us is it helps us to be humble because for one thing, it reminds us of our smallness in comparison. Solomon, the wisest man on earth before Jesus Christ arose, or before Jesus Christ came on the scene, may have thought of this concept when he penned these words I'd like to read from Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, he says this, Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. 
Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven, and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Solomon is helping us see there our true smallness in comparison to the great God who is in heaven. It helps us to see how truly small we are in the grand scheme of everything. It also helps us to see, however, how much great value we have to this great God, not because of us, but because of the value he's placed upon us, how much he even cares for us, this great God that would even care for us. Does he not say, did Jesus not say about the, the sparrow and about the, the lilies of the field and all of those things? And he said, you are of greater value. You are of more value than they. So it helps us not only to recognize our own humility and our smallness, but also the great value that God placed upon us, that he would even care for us. And also, I believe it increases our faith to know that whatever mountain or trouble we are facing is truly minute in his sight. And he is well able to handle it and to resolve it. It's well within his power to do so because he is the great God. So what does this show us? Well, first of all, let's understand the very first time that the word gadol or great is used in the scriptures. <clears throat> and we find it in Genesis chapter 1, verse 16. And it's when God is creating the, the heavens and the earth. And this is on the fourth day. And it says this in verse 16. Then God made two great lights the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. So here we just see how God has created these two lights, and, and primarily the sun and the moon, we call them. And that's the first time we see that. And notice that it's on the fourth day. So what that tells us is, first of all, that they shouldn't be worshipped as some source of life but rather God, the creator of them, is the one that's worshipped. God alone is the source of life. In the Hebrew, this uh, word for great, it, it literally means to make large or to enlarge. It's talking about something that is great, something that is much more or exceedingly large. Now, let's consider this. It's exceedingly large and, and abundant and much and more exceedingly large in magnitude, referring to the scope and the dominion and the realm of this God. Magnitude. He is high. He is vast. He has a huge domain. He is over it all. It is also exceedingly large in extent. I love this. It's far-reaching. In other words, distance is no problem with God. He can reach wherever. He can reach however far. He can reach however deep. He can reach however long he needs to. And because he is also omnipresent, he is able to do it 
whenever it's needed, and at the same time, everywhere. I want to read you a passage from, a, a verse actually, from Second Samuel, and it's chapter 7, verse 25 of Second Samuel. Second Samuel 7, 25. And I pray this for my children, but what it is, is it's David's response after God has promised him a kingdom and a, and a lineage for his descendants and that he will have kings on the throne. And he has promised blessings to David's descendants. And in verse 25, it says, David is speaking here and he's calling to the Lord in this prayer. And he says, now, O Lord God, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house or his lineage, his descendants, establish it forever and do as you have said. I love to pray this because when you look in the Hebrew at that word forever, there's a few different words that are used when we're talking about forever or eternity or always. But this particular word translated forever in my Bible literally is talking about as long as, as far as, and as much as necessary. So David in his prayer is saying, God, I'm asking you, Lord, to take this word, this good word you've promised me, and would you cause it to come to pass and establish it however far is necessary to bring it to pass, however long and however much, as long as, as far as, and as much as necessary. What a comfort this is. And I love to pray that for my children and my grandchildren as well. This word great also speaks of how it's exceedingly large in intensity, in degree. In other words, however fierce he needs to be, however relentless he needs to be, however patient he needs to be, however strong he needs to be, however resolved he needs to be. It speaks of being exceedingly large in importance, in dignity, distinguishing characters, honor. None can be compared to his honor or to his glory or to his magnificence. He is worthy to be praised with all of our praises. He is magnificent. He is to be magnified. He is increased in size and stature. And even when Jesus came on the earth, we read in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, about how he grew in stature and in favor with God and with man. The very first time we see Gadol associated with God, it is in as far as El Gadol, the great God. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 10. And I'm going to read in verse 12 through 22. And it says this, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, 
you above all peoples as it is this day. Therefore circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be, be stiff-necked no longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God. There it is. Mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widows and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. He is your praise, and he is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt with 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven in multitude. So this is speaking to them. It's when Moses is teaching and telling the children of Israel about the great God. It's the first place we officially find the great God in scripture, as far as El Gadol listed in scripture. Although much before it, beginning with Genesis chapter 1, speaking of God's greatness. So Moses is instructing them regarding the essence of the law, the summary of it, so to speak, to be one who will revere the Lord, honor him, love him, and obey him. And is that not the summary of what we need to be doing through the, through the power of the Holy Spirit in obedience to the Lord? And he summed it up into two commandments. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and body, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if you do those two commandments, it is the summary of the entire law that God gave to Moses. Now, this great God, why is he worthy of this? Because the heavens and the earth, even the highest of heavens, are his. He's worthy of it. It proves his greatness. And also it shows in this passage his heart's delight because he has love and tenderness for us. Notice how much he's involved in their lives. He has no partiality. He can't be bought off through bribes. He executes and administers justice for fatherless and widows. He loves the stranger and, and foreigners. He provides food and clothes to them because of his love. And it continues by exalting God in his greatness, how wonderful and great things he has done for them and how he has increased in size to them. In, in terms of their understanding of him and the enlarging of them seeing him for who he is. That's what it's talking about there. When we see God's greatness, it brings to light for us just how awesome he is, just how great, just how kind, just how loving, and just how merciful he is. Now, in the, on the board here, I've tried to draw a few things for you, and I've drawn a very big circle and a, a smaller elliptical type orb, and then a, um, a smaller circle, and then a tiny circle. And I want us to go through this because I'm going to speak now about the greatness of God in terms of some of the creation. And I want you to see several things that hopefully this, will, this illustration and the things that I'm going to show you will speak to your heart. Now, I am not at all a scientist. I'm not an astronomist. I'm none of those things. 
but I have researched some of this from people who are, and I have looked at some um, resources of very trusted uh, resources that I, that I would believe their work and that honor the Lord and speak of him. And so I want to read a couple of places from scripture, and then I want to talk about this great God in terms of creation, in terms of some of what we learn in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says this, In the beginning God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then when we drop down to verse 14, it said this, Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons, and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth, and it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, so the evening and the morning were the fourth day. So here we learn about this fourth day of creation and what God made. We see also that he made the earth, the heavens and the earth, meaning that he's greater than them. He is the source from which they came, that he has, he's been the one that created them. And we remember he spoke them into existence with his powerful word. So this also tells us that this great God has the wisdom and skill to make something. And he has the creativity to create these and to create them unique and beautiful. So let's talk about a few facts of creation that I think you'll find interesting. I know I did. We know many things more clearly now because of NASA, because of the Hubble telescope, because of creationists and creation scientists and others who can tell us the truth about a lot of these things that the Bible speaks of. And Louis Giglio, I, I would just like to put, put out this little promotion, I guess. He has a series of some videos, and in some of those, he has done some astronomical work in the sense of looking at the stars and, and digging into some of the facts about some of the beauty of the heavens that God has created. And I would encourage you to, to look those up. One is How Great Is Our God?, and the other one is indescribable. And they were, I believe, a part um, or of the Chris Tomlin songs, the tours and things that he did. But Louis is teaching through those and he uses great examples and, and I love them. So I really encourage you, if you'd like to look those up, Louis Giglio, How Great Is Our God and Indescribable. But we have learned through science and through those who've studied these things and, and are skilled enough to, to tell us, they're experts in these fields, that the universe is massive and vast. The reach of it is yet unknown. And there are billions of galaxies in the vast outer space. It's filled with massive celestial bodies that give glory to God. The scriptures say in Psalm 19, the scriptures speak of this in Psalm 19. David is writing here, 
And in verses one through six, he says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. So here David is speaking of this. Now, notice this. He's talking about this, and he didn't have NASA. He didn't have the Hubble telescope. He didn't have scientists that were perhaps official experts in these areas. He didn't have some of those things that we've now discovered. And yet he knew well enough to know that those stars that he could look at at night when he was keeping sheep on the hillside, that God had created those and God had put them there and they were beautiful and they were declaring the beauty and the praise of this massive, mighty, great God. Now, <clears throat> some that have been found actually speak. There is a, a planet or a star called Pulsar and it has a continuous rhythmic sound, sort of like a drum beating in the sky. It's interesting because Chris Tomlin and Louis Vic Giglio, in one of their videos, I believe it's the one called Symphony, they actually took some of the sounds from outer space and put them together and created a musical melody of constant music of praise that's going on in the heavens, even right now. How about that? When God created them, and he speaks and he puts them in place and he says, praise me, praise me, praise me with a spin dance of an orbit, praise me with your pulsating drum beat, praise me, praise me with your beauty, praise me with your sparkles, praise me. And so the heavens are declaring the glory of God and they are praising God. Hallelujah. And they will continue to do so until there is a new heaven and a new earth created. Now, in space, to get around in space, you have to travel at a speed called light years. That's the distance that it takes for light to travel in one year. Light travels, we've, science has told us, at a speed of 186,000 miles per second. There are 60 seconds in one minute, 60 minutes in one hour, 24 hours in each day, and 365 roughly days per year. So when you calculate that out, it is a lot of miles. <laughs> it is a lot of miles. It's approximately 5.86 trillion miles in one year. Now, in 1 Corinthians, I want to read you this, where Paul writes, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about an event that we're all still waiting for when we will be gathered together and the Lord Jesus Christ will come for us. It, we call it typically in, in Christianity the rapture of the church. And there are varying arguments about the rapture. Different people have different beliefs. But one thing that we can agree on is that the scriptures do speak of a gathering together of the people of God, and God will come for us. There is going to be a rapture, whether you want to use that term or not, 
there will be a rapture of the church. There will be a regathering of believers from all over the world. And Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians. He speaks about it in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, but he also speaks about it in 1 Corinthians 15. And I want to read in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 through 57, I believe. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this incorruptible must put on, this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to you as you join in. So here, Paul is telling us that when, when the rapture of the church happens, when the regathering of the church happens, we will go up, and he calls it in the twinkling of an eye. Now consider this. The speed of light travels at 186,000 miles per second. And so in what Paul is saying here is that we are to measure the distance and how fast it would take for light to travel from one side of your eye lens, the lens of one eye, to the other side of the lens of that same eye, in the twinkling of an eye. In other words, how quickly light travels from one side of one lens of your eye to the next. It's a speed of perhaps something like this. Now, if light is traveling 186,000 miles per second, this is an immeasurable bit of time. And it's, it's so short of a time. Matter of fact, Chuck Missler speaks about it. It's like 10 to the negative 43rd power or something, talking about 43 zeros behind this thing. It, it's unfathomable. And so this is how fast we will go to be with the Lord. We have to remember that light can circle the earth, what, about seven, seven and a half times per second? Light can circle the entire earth seven and a half times per second. And we're talking about this teeny-weeny little bit of space, and that's how quick this will happen when the Lord calls us home. It's not even a nanosecond. So, beloved, let me throw this out in this, in this message as well. And I've taught this in my Revelation study. That's how fast the rapture will be. And so it's my, my desire that we live what I call rapture-ready lives because there will be no time to repent when that happens. We have to be ready to go. So I encourage you to make sure you are ready to go. So when we get around in space, we're talking about the great God, the massive God that we serve. When we're walking around in space and traveling in space, we have to use light years like a yardstick. Now I want you to consider these examples here. It is as if this 
huge circle that I tried to draw on this board. You may not be able to see it as clearly, but we'll say that that might be the whole of the universe. Okay, let's just assume that for a moment. And let's say that the, small, the elliptical beside it is more like our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, our section, our subdivision in this whole universe, so to speak. And then the smaller ball might be our sun, and then that tiny ball is Earth. Let's talk about some facts about the universe. And some of these have come from resources such as Answers in Genesis and creation, creationist.com, I believe. God made it incredibly large. It contains huge objects and masses that our human minds could not even comprehend. He created innumerable galaxies with wide range of shapes and sizes. Some are spiral or elliptical. Some galaxies are in clusters. Ours is in what's called a local group cluster. <clears throat> Excuse me. And just so you understand, like the magnitude of the size of some of these clusters, the Virgo cluster, for instance, has about 2,000 galaxies. So we're talking about subdivisions or states, if we want to call them that, that are massive just in themselves. The clusters can also be grouped into larger groups called superclusters. One resource said this, it is estimated that there are at least as many galaxies as there, as there are stars in the Milky Way, which they estimate to be 100 billion. Just consider such energy and mass filling a volume of space that is immense beyond our ability to fathom. Also notice how casually the Bible speaks of all of these stars that God made. Because in Genesis 1.16, which we just read, it said, and he also made the stars. This biblical description makes it sound like the creation of all the hundreds of billions of galaxies was trivially easy for God. That's how great and massive he is. And yet, when we look in the scriptures, in Psalm 147, Verse 4 and 5, it tells us this, talking about these stars, it says, He counts the number of the stars. He calls them all by name. Verse 5, great is our God and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. And then in Isaiah 40, verses 25 and 26, he says this, God is speaking here, and he says, to whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings, them, who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. Welcome as you join in and thank you for joining me. God, think about this, the massive great God that we serve, that we know, that we are learning more about. He knows and inventories all of those billions and trillions of billions of stars. 
He knows exactly how many there are, and not one of them is lost in his sight. Better yet, he even gives every one of them a name, which he knows, and he keeps track of every single one. You know, we can go out in the night sky, perhaps in a, in a country uh, place, a country field or something. It's immensely beautiful. And we don't have any idea that it is containing hundreds of billions of galaxies. And each of those has millions and trillions of stars, countless clusters, and even nebulae and planets and all of that in this massive universe that our God has made. Think about the quantity of energy that was required to create all of these balls of energy that are out there. Wow. And also note this in Hebrews 1.3. The scriptures say this. Speaking of Jesus here. Let's read 1 through 3. It says, God, who at various times in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So not only did he create all of these things, not only is he the express image of God and the brightness of his glory, but now we learn that Jesus upholds them all. By what? by the rhema word, his powerful rhema word that has put them in place and is maintaining them there now. Every bit of this is kept from falling by the dunamis of God's rhema word, by that dynamite word of command that Jesus spoke. And it will never lose its ability to accomplish what he said. That's why he can say not one of them is missing because the rhema word is holding them up. The word from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. It took a massive God to do this. It took a great God to do all of this. In the Milky Way galaxy, our galaxy is shaped like a dish. The earth is on a, it, uh, shaped like a disc. Our earth is on the disk, but it's closer to the edge than in the center. And so in the Milky Way, our portion of the universe, we learn that it contains more than 100 billion stars, each one with its own name given by God, each one inventoried by God, each one kept by the word of God's power. Everything is kept in place, kept in line, kept spinning, kept obeying. By one simple thing, that rhema word that he issues forth with power and with energy from the great God who created it. It also contains nebulae. They're like stars, but they spread out and are not quite spherical. Some are more massive even than 10,000 suns. Our planets, of which Earth is one of them, 
Now consider this, out of the whole of the universe that we have over, over here, this one, and then we go down and we see little tiny earth over there on the very end, little tiny speck. Our sun, the one beside it, is the one that's the greater light mentioned in Genesis 1. Now notice this about our great God. It is precisely the sun that he has made. He made it precisely right in size. He made it precisely right in distance. He made it precisely right in mass. And he made it precisely right in energy. If it were too far away, we would freeze. If it were too close, we would burn up. If it didn't have the mass, it couldn't do its job as long as was needed. It would run out of energy. If it didn't have that energy, it would not be able to complete its purpose until the Lord comes and gives us a brand new heaven and a new earth. Also, if God had not put it where he did, it could give off dangerous radiation and have dangerous gravitational tides. If it were too large, it would engulf all of our planets. If it were too small, it would be too faint to sustain life. Its current position and its current mass is precise and exact to sustain life on earth, and it supplies our heat and it supplies our light. Being a single star, it doesn't have the temperature variations that could cause us problems either. This sun is a glowing ball of hydrogen gas. Its energy is from the fusion of hydrogen to helium. It's literally, one resource called it a stable hydrogen bomb, so to speak. It is an extremely efficient source of energy placed at just the right distance to provide the right amount of light and heat for the Earth. It's about 4,000 times farther away from the Earth than the moon, and it's about 400 times larger than the moon. The sun is over 100 times the diameter, diameter of Earth. If hollow, if it were hollow, it could hold about 1 million Earths inside of it. That's our sun. It sits at a distance of 93 million miles from the Earth. So with light traveling at a speed of 186 miles per second, it takes about eight minutes for light to reach the earth from the sun. There are approximately six trillion miles per light year. So it would take about 15.5 light years to travel from the earth to the sun. Or if someone were to, let's say, drive the distance at 65 miles an hour, it would take 163 years nonstop to get there. This is how massive even our little tiny galaxy is in our little subdivision of this whole universe that God has made. The moon that God gave us is called the lesser light in Genesis 1. It's, appro it's approximately 2,100 miles in diameter, and it's about 240,000 miles from the earth. It has no light of its own. It simply reflects the sun's light. It dominates the other light nights in the sky in its brilliance. 
<clears throat> and even and then when we get to the earth, wow. I'm going to read this. This comes from creation.com. Planet Earth moves in a nearly perfectly circular orbit in what is called the circulus, circumstellar habitual zone or Goldilocks zone around the sun. This zone is where liquid water can exist so it is not too hot to prevent all the water from boiling away and not too cold to prevent all the water from freezing solid. For liquid water to exist on a planet, that planet must have a solid surface and an atmosphere providing sufficient press pressure at the, surface to, at the surface to prevent all the water evaporating. In fact, on Earth, water can and does exist in all three states, liquid, solid in the form of ice, and water in the form of vapor and it can move relatively easily between them. If the Earth's orbit were highly elliptical, there would be large variations in temperature, making the environment unsuitable for life. So all of this is speaking to us about not only our massive great God, but about the precision with which, with which he has created all that he created in there. Even the Earth's spin is perfect for life. If it were tidally locked, locked by tide, to the sun, one of the sides would freeze to death and the other would be unbearably hot. The Earth's axis and tilting is perfect. It causes the right change in the seasons, regenerates plant and animal life. Even tides from the moon are perfect for life on Earth because they support marine life and coastal life, and they provide proper oxygenation and circulation of coastal waters. The Earth's atmosphere is 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, and it forms a, a thin sheath held by gravity. And in that form, it nourishes and protects life, and it's held within about 60 miles of atmosphere from the Earth's surface. It regulates the Earth's temperature and transports the water cycle for proper life. And the water on Earth is about 72% of the Earth's surface. All of this is telling us that it's perfectly situated for life and for the control of the temperatures. So we see a massive God involved in creation. This is our great God. And I want you to see this scripture in Isaiah chapter 40. And it's verse, it's Isaiah 40, verse 12. And it says this, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? So here we see in the hollow of his hand, if you just took the hollow of his of the palm of his hand, God can hold all the waters. And I believe that may, may even include other waters beyond just what's on the earth. And then it tells us he measures the entire heavens with a span. So in other words, he goes from the thumb to the end of the little finger. That's how massive this great God is. How about that? Yet. He is personal. 
How about that? Think about John 3.16 now. After having considered the massiveness of God, the God who has done all of this behind us and all that we've talked about, consider 3.16 now. God loved the world. Notice in this massive ball here, representing the entire universe. And yet we go down to a tiny little ball, tiny little orb called Earth, somewhere in the middle of this massive universe and inside our subdivision called the Milky Way. He loved this place. He loved the people on Earth. He sees every sparrow that falls on earth. He sees the number of the hairs of your head on earth. He names every individual star and keeps them from falling. Hallelujah. Somewhere on that tiny little spot called earth, we are there. Somewhere we are there. It is no wonder that David called out in Psalm 8. And he said this in verse 3 and 4, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? Think about that. Think about that. He didn't have telescopes. He didn't have NASA. He didn't have Hubble. And yet, just from what he could see in the night sky, and when he considered all of that, he still marveled that the God who made all of that, limited as it was, would care, would care to interact and visit people on this tiny, tiny planet called Earth. And we learn in the scriptures that he does, in fact, care about us on this tiny planet. He numbers our hair. He sees us when we fall. He calls us each by name. He can blow with his breath and part the Red Sea. He could walk on water and rebuke the wind and the waves. He can defy nature and resurrect the dead. He can save a soul. And completely transform a heart. Understanding all of these things about our massive God helps us remember our place. It humbles us like Ecclesiastes 5 spoke about. It amazes us that God sees us and cares about us, and that makes us see more of his glory. But also, I want to leave you with this. It also builds our faith when we understand that this great God, who made all of this, really, 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 really loves us on this little, tiny planet. It proves our value to him. He spoke about our value to him in Matthew chapter 6. He cares for us. He is our great God who can and will take care of us. If he made and holds together the whole of the massive universe, keeping track of every single star. Why do we doubt that he cares for us? 
Why do we doubt that he can resolve any issue that we face? Why do we doubt that he can easily move our mountains? And the greatest thing about this great God is that he is very personal. I want to remind you of a story found in Matthew chapter 8. A centurion comes to Jesus. He sends word first to Jesus. And he says, hey, my servant is sick and he needs you to heal him. And Jesus said, I'm coming, I'll come. And the servant says, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Only speak a word. Only speak a living rhema word. Because what he was saying there is because your word has authority. You are the one who can speak and it is done. You are the one who can command and it stands fast. Because he goes on and he says, I'm a man of authority. I speak the word and people do it. And I recognize that in you is what he was saying. So he said, all you've got to do is speak the word. My servant will be healed. Jesus looked at him and he spoke about him and he said this. This is greater faith than I've seen. He talked about the great faith that that is. And so what he's saying here and what the centurion found is that this great God cared about little things and was able, had the authority, the power, and the energy to be able to take care of his problem. Jesus called this great May God increase our faith in this great God, El Gadol. I pray that this has been a blessing to you and you have learned something fresh about our great God that we serve. And you have seen that in spite of the massive universe he created, he cares about one tiny planet. And on that tiny planet, he cares about you. You're of more value to him than all of these other beautiful things he has made to praise him and to bring him glory. How tender and how personal and how wonderful that is to know El Gadol, our great God. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that this word will accomplish your purposes in delivering it. Father, I've done my best to deliver the word and I pray it pleases you. I pray that you will bless it and all who hear it and tune in will be encouraged and their faith will be built up. That our faith, mine included, will be built up so that we don't doubt your power. We don't doubt your authority. We understand that you care more about us than all of these other great things you've made. And you are able to make whatever we're facing just become just taken care of easily taken care of, easily dissolved, easily resolved. And I thank you for that. So I pray an encouragement to your people and to all who will hear this and see this. I give you the praise and the honor and the glory. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.